It hasn't disappeared. It's just been driven underground. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, I think you can sympathize with the people who are today physical mediums. You know, professing oneself to be a physical medium isn't quite on a par with saying that you're a child molester. But it still is a way of asking for trouble. Starting out with some serious music. This is the summer edition of Every Night's a School Night, what has become a tradition. And what's funny is that I once called this summer edition show, I once called it a non-traditional Every Night's a School Night. 
But what was once non-traditional has become a little tradition, which is doing an episode in July. It seems like it's usually late July where I play stuff that's outside of the normal every night to school night uh, style style. And that usually involves pretty much, you know, just whatever comes to mind leading up to it. I don't ever feel like it's the best representation of my taste. I'm not trying to show range. I'm not even necessarily trying to play my favorite things. Oh, this is my favorite music. Because there's some music that I love that I would never play on here. I I would only ever just kind of skirt the edges of playing it. I just don't feel like this show is the right place for it. Uh, not just one genre either. There's just there's a couple of genres that I'm into that I just don't feel belong here. This isn't the place. But this summer edition show ends up just kind of being a random assortment of whatever kind of fits the, the spirit of the season for me. And I've done these and looked back and been like, why did I play that? Why did I do that? But we're just going to go with it. It's a good time. And starting it out with Pentagram, if the winds would change with perfect production. I mean, that's the kind of production you want to hear. And fortunately, with Pentagram and related bands, there's actually a good amount of raw material like that. I think I read that that one was recorded on a reel-to-reel. and Like a bl- like Pentagram playing on a blown-out reel-to-reel. That just sounds perfect. And it did sound perfect because you just heard it, and it was If the winds would change, and if you listen to this show regularly, you know how much I love the wind, so if the winds would change, I mean, it doesn't really get better than Pentagram to me, that's one, it's a band that I never get sick of, I also never overplay them, I think, for whatever reason, they exist in this area where it's like, I never feel the need to listen to them all the time, but every time I do, it's refreshing, and I don't get sick of it. And, uh, I mean, the only cover song I've ever been a part of in my life that I know of, maybe I've been a part of other cover songs and had no idea, but the only cover song I've been aware you know, that where I've been aware of it <laughs> was a Death Row song, which was basically Pentagram under another name. Because Pentagram has played under multiple names, and then there are related projects that are basically Pentagram. You think about Be Demon which was a member of Pentagram. He wrote his own music and then had Bobby sing on it. And, of course, it sounds just like Pentagram. But it deserves its own identity, too. Because it kind of bothers me, just to go off on a a random tangent here, got to start things off, start this summer edition off with a tangent. But it always kind of bothers me when people see that something is related to another band and immediately file it under side project. I mean, it's easy to do that because that's you think of something as like, oh, that it Pentagram's the main band, so obviously this other thing featuring Pentagram members must be a side project. But you, you got to give things their due, and I think in B Demon's case, it had a different songwriter who just happened to play in a band with the the other guys. But anyway, you know, obviously that documentary came out some years back, and it's a good documentary. I love that documentary actually. I've seen it probably three times. I watched it not that long ago. Somebody was over, somebody was helping me clean my house, and I was just like, this is a good neutral documentary to put on. I mean, you can kind of put that documentary on around anybody. I feel like there's something in it for everybody. You don't have to be interested in that kind of music. Although, you know, as much as 
I, I do think that's a I think that's a great documentary just because Bobby's in it. And any documentary that just features Bobby talking and in the raw is going to be good. That said, that documentary definitely falls victim to the whole documentary culture that I've talked about, which is they basically turn that documentary into this Make-A-Wish foundation for this Relapse Records employee who loves Pentagram and it's his dream to to rescue Bobby, which is great. Like, I'm glad this guy wanted to help Bobby with his heroin addiction. I'm glad that this guy made the effort. He wanted to get Bobby creating again. I mean, that's all wonderful. But it did, the the way that the documentary was made, like, it makes it about this guy. It's like, oh, he's the co-star. Meanwhile, you don't care about this guy at all. Nothing even against him, but just... Actually, you know what? Everything against him. Everything against this... uh, Whatever. But it's just that sort of thing where it's like you turn this documentary about Bobby Liebling into this Make-A-Wish Foundation sort of American Idol backstory. But that said, it didn't take anything away because Pentagram's so good and Bobby Liebling is so cool. But anyway, uh, you know, it is a Sunday. And today was the day to do this. You know, I almost didn't want to. I was like, I can do a lot of different things with my Sunday. But, you know, Sunday is the the day of every night's a school night. As much as I am Thursday-oriented, as, as much as I see Thursday as the center of the week, the week revolves around Thursday. Every night's a school night still kind of has always existed in this Sunday territory. That sort of dread that everybody feels on a Sunday, even if you don't have anything to do, even if Monday's a holiday, there is this inherent dread on Sunday, but you can use it to your advantage. And that's what this show's always been about, is using that sort of Sunday dread to your advantage. I mean, I was just listening to Morrissey, who's not going to be played on this episode, but I was just listening to that Morrissey album, Viva Hate, where... There's a song, Every Day is Like Sunday, which I had never heard when I started Every Night's a School Night, but I do like that those kind of, they kind of go together. Every day is like Sunday and every night's a school night. And it's funny with Morrissey, where I didn't become a Smiths and Morrissey fan until probably five or six years ago. It just, it never even, I just, I I was never into stuff like that. It never would have really crossed my radar when I was younger. And I had the complete wrong impression of it. Like, I, I'm realizing about so many things in life where I had a completely mistaken impression of, of what they sounded like, of what they were. And what's funny about that, too, is when I did finally become a Smiths fan, uh, suddenly Morrissey becomes an even more controversial figure. I understand he was always polarizing but suddenly he's now way more controversial. And I actually had a good friend, a very dear friend of mine, who walked out of a Morrissey concert because of comments he made about Brexit. I, and I have to laugh at that. I respect my friend's opinion, but it's just kind of funny to me. Because, you know, for me, it's like I come from such a, a fundamentally different place than other people when it comes to the art they enjoy and you know I'm not and it's not like I've chosen that I actually don't understand how or why like I understand why I understand that the idea is that you don't want to support something or someone who you think is contributing to something destructive or negative 
or that contrasts with what you think is morally, ethically decent? Uh, you know, I don't know. I can see you want to choose to support, you know, people who more or less see the world the way you see it. But I've just never seen art that way. I've never seen music that way. And it's just funny to me that, you know, right after I became a fan of Morrissey, he becomes this, I don't even know what to call him. I don't know what people are calling him. I'm sure they're they're throwing out all kinds of words. I mean, people leave his shows. But it's like a guy who had an album called What Meat is Murder. A guy who's always made various opinions quite explicit. It's funny that the Brexit one would push people one way or another. And as I've said before, it's like I I didn't allow myself to have an opinion on Brexit. I don't live in England. And not that I don't believe somebody can have an opinion on what goes on in other countries, but it's just one of those things where it's like, I can't possibly understand this situation. So why would I add more fog and distortion to my life by coming up with an opinion on Brexit, which in turn is going to force me to have an opinion on Morrissey? (laughs) you know but anyway you know I don't know why I'm going off on this Smith's Morrissey tangent just because I was was just listening to it I just heard the song every day is like Sunday which made me think of me every night to school night the Smiths are one of those bands that I feel like a lot of different people can find common ground over them I found that out and the same thing is true with Pentagram you know Pentagram has been this band who's had a, a cult status for a long time But the documentary has made them more accessible, which is good. That's a band that I want people to hear. You know, because I will will readily admit that I still have jewels that I clutch very close to my chest. There are things that I don't really want to share with people. I'm not spiritually mature enough to share every little musical jewel. But Pentagram is one where it's like, please, the more the merrier, the more people that can appreciate this, because there's such a conviction to it. And that kind of goes back to seeing art fundamentally different from some people, which sounds really pretentious, but I don't know what else to say. How else am I supposed to phrase this? Uh, where it's like some people want an art. It's, it bothers them if there's something controversial or polarizing about an artist, especially if you identify with one of those polar opposites and the artist expresses the opposite. Losing my language here. The opposite of the opposite. But then the other aspect of that, too, is just conviction. Like, I feel like I have a pretty good sense for, like, I can feel the conviction when someone is performing. I mean, it's not just music. It's like, I'm not a big stand-up comedy fan, but I do, I remember at one point seeing somebody's professional, the, the, I saw the stand-up special that they shot professionally and released as their special, but then I happened to see a random live performance that somebody recorded on their phone around that same time, and I was amazed at how much better the live one was, the, the one that was just recorded on a phone. You could feel there was much more conviction. They were delivering the jokes with a lot more umph, and that was just interesting to me because you can hear that through music as well. I mean, it's not just different bands have more conviction. You can hear different recordings of certain songs have more conviction. And no matter how good a song is, you know, conviction is what I'm looking for. 
and it's not that I don't enjoy things that don't have conviction. You know, I do enjoy some things just for their own sake, but it's like what we're looking for is conviction and it's something you can hear. It's something you can feel. And if it doesn't have that, I'm just like, why would I waste my time with this? Unless it has something else that draws me in, something that is interesting in its own right, I just don't really have time for anything that doesn't mean what it's saying. And that's the great thing about Pentagram, is Bobby's lyrics, Bobby's delivery, the band, they managed to make it count. We're going to move on here. We're going to play a song by a Finnish band. Horna, and I never imagined I would be playing Horna on here. And this is a song that's quite a bit different from what they usually do. It was released on a split 7-inch. Some friends of mine actually released it many years ago. It's a completely different style of the band Horna. And uh, this one, it's clean vocals, which they don't normally do. Just this, it, It's just a beauty. It's a real beauty. It's one that I, you know, I can't imagine you're going to hear this and not like it. Because... Uh, it's Horna with Jorette or Jorette. I don't know. Just, do Finns pronounce J's like Swedes and Norwegians do? Do they say it as a Y, Jorette? You know, because Finnish is so strange. It's like right there next to Russia. Their language is extremely bizarre and unique. There's something very distinctive about them that sets them apart from the other Scandinavian countries. And I don't think I have any Finnish in me. I think I do have a little bit of Danish, and I definitely have Swedish and Norwegian, but I don't think I have any Finnish in me, because Finland does seem somewhat alien. I had these girls from Finland. I was a little kid, but my family had these girls from Finland stay with us during one summer. They were doing some sort of, they played violin, and they were part of some symphony, almost like a a student, uh, what's that called, like a... Uh, when a foreign student comes and lives with you, they were they were doing some sort of program like that, but just for the summer so they could come be part of some orchestra. So we had these two Finnish girls staying with us. Don't remember anything about them. But we're going to continue on here with Horny.
may be an activity. Apartment houses, maybe. Somewhere there may be an American junkie with unnameable things crawling on his skin who would be proud to know he helped finance buildings like these. On the subject of Horna, Horna, do you celebrate Hornica? On the subject of Horna, about 15 years ago, I remember they were selling girly shirts or girly tanks. I think they were little tank tops, like spaghetti. Well, it's what we call spaghetti strap. Hey, baby, uh, I like it when you wear that spaghetti strap, you know, but uh, they were selling these little spaghetti strap girl tanks. And they said horny for Horna. And I regret not buying one. That's the kind of thing that you buy. Like, even if you're single, you buy the horny for horn a girl tank to give to a girl later. And when you meet her, like, once you know she's your girl, you tell her, hey, hey since we had such a nice uh, date night and we've been together for about three months, you know, we, we've hit the three-month mark, I, I want to give you something. I want to give you something. You know, back in the old days, they used to give you a ring. Like a guy would give you a, a going steady ring. I got a spaghetti strap girl tank that says horny for horna, and I want you to wear it when you're with me. Every time we're out there. Like when you're out there, if you go out for girls night, some guys will give you a ring so that so that people can see you're wearing a guy's ring. You're going to wear this horny for horna shirt, whether you're with me or whether you're not. And that way, all the guys know. All the guys know not to make a move. Horny for horna tank top. Get one. Uh, but uh, we're going to move on here. We're going to play a song from Cleveland, a Cleveland band called Shock Paris. S-H-O-K. Paris. I assume since they're from Cleveland, they don't pronounce it Paris. Paris. Perry. Shock Perry. 
I'm going to France, and I, I, I just, I, I have to visit Perry. I don't know how to, is it Paris? I don't know how to, I took a couple of years of French in school, but I don't remember how to pronounce anything. I don't, I don't really like French, to be honest. I never understood why people call it beautiful. It's actually one of the more disgusting sounding languages to me. But anyway, Shock Paris, this song is called Lost Queen. It's from 1987. So here we are with Shock Paris from Cleveland with Lost Queen.
Yeah, we're going to move over to Germany here. We're going to go back two years, and then we're going to fly to Germany. And this is a band called Attack. Attack. Not Attack Paris. We already had Shock Paris. This isn't Attack Paris. We're not out to... We don't have anything against Paris, all right? We just want them to be shocked. This is just Attack... Not attack Germany, but they're in Germany. Attack from Germany. And the first song is called Indian Lady. And the next song is called Dirty Mary. We're going to play two attacks. We're going to have two attacks here. These sound like weed strains to me. Like when I wrote these down for the playlist, Indian Lady and Dirty Mary sound like weed strains. Dirty Mary, that also sounds like uh, it's not a bloody Mary. It's a dirty Mary. It's like a dirty martini meets a Bloody Mary. Yeah, my I, I have my own drink. Oh, yeah, when I go in that bar, they know exactly what to give me. It's my drink. I invented it. It's called a Dirty Mary. It's a dirty martini meets a Bloody Mary. It's also a weed strain. I'm working with a team of weed scientists to create my own strains of of marijuana, Dirty Mary and Indian Lady. Attack's good, though. Kind of a high-pitched, whiny voice. Not something I would want to listen to all the time, but it's one of those things you're listening on the right day, on the right summer day. This can hit your mood nicely. can hit your mood nicely. Because you want things to hit your mood, especially music. You want to meet you when you listen to music. I feel like it's like you meet it halfway and it meets you halfway. But here we are with Attack, two songs Indian Lady, Dirty Mary. They're songs, they're weed strains, Dirty Martinis, Bloody Marys. We kind of have everything going on in these two songs.
Yeah, gotta love how that second one, Dirty Mary, started with the little kids chanting Mary. You know, I'm not going to do it. There's one thing that I will not stoop to, and that is doing like creepy little kid voices. I don't think I've done that too much. I had this girlfriend who I'd do voices to. I would workshop. I'd do, we called doing a little workshop. And, and one time I just, out of nowhere, we were just laying there, and I just go, Hi! Hi. I can't remember exactly how I did it. Hi. It was that sort of voice. And she just said, oh, no. <laughs> you know, because that's how I feel whenever I hear somebody, like, tap into the baby doll, creepy little kid. Like, I'm amazed that people still think, like, little kid stuff is creepy. Like, I'm amazed that after it's just been, I mean, I've never thought it was creepy. Like, when they have a little kid, like, I'll be watching, like, during football season is really the only time that I see advertisements for upcoming shows. And they're still making these horror movies and these horror shows where the commercial or the trailer is this little kid being like, I saw that, you know, I, I saw something the adults didn't see. You know, it's like, it might as well be... It was it The Sixth Sense, whatever that movie was, the I See Dead People movie. It's like people are still riffing on that. And there are still people who watch that and go, oh, it's so creepy when a little kid whispers something. And it's the same thing for like baby doll art, which I will make a an exception for women. Like I will make an exception for women who do baby doll art or identify with that in some way, because that's a much different relationship. Like, little girls grow up with baby dolls. They play with them. At some point, they might actually have a baby in their womb. And if they don't, it's still something they're going to think about. So I'm not going to judge a woman for making baby doll art. I'm not going to support it. Like, I'm not going to get into it. Like, an exception would be, I had a friend who, she would take old Barbie's, And she would kind of like hack them up and like staple them together and like paint blood on them. And she didn't do it for anything. It was just for fun, basically. And I did like that. Like the way that she would mangle these Barbies was actually impressive and creative. But like when someone just takes a baby doll and is like, oh, it's creepy. Oh, my God, it's so creepy. Baby dolls. You know, I just how could I ever get into that? But I won't judge a woman for it. But a, a man, oh, man. A man, oh man, if you're a man and you're making baby doll art or creepy children art, rethink what you're doing or just rethink it. An exception would be like that band you just heard using this little, I don't know if that was a sample or if they actually, I mean, I guess it wasn't a sample. They must have recruited children or the band themselves must have been good at doing children's voices. Uh, An exception would be that because, you know, attack can do what they want. Attack can start their song, Dirty Mary, with the sound of children chanting Mary. But we're going to move on and play a song here by, it's actually from 1968. But it's not a school night style song. This is still a non-traditional, traditional episode. And 1968, you know, unless it's country, you're not going to find much popular music that fits every night's a school night. It's when you start to hear, you know, with the underground stuff, especially with the the more lo-fi stuff, things take on a garagey sound. And I'm guessing that's where this band was coming from. I've never really investigated them. And you also get really stupid and weird names from that era. I mean, that's true 
regardless of the era. You always have stupid names. But this band is called Just Love. J-U-S-T-L-U-V. Just Love. But interestingly, the song is called Valley of Hate. So the band is Just Love, and the song is Valley of Hate. It's like somebody writing, it's like the equivalent of like when someone writes love and hate on their knuckles. One, one of their fists says love, the other says hate. That's what this band is basically doing by calling themselves Just Love and writing a song called Valley of Hate. But no, it's good. It's got organ. It's kind of monotonous. You know, it's not, it, it's, it, it's definitely memorable. I wouldn't play it if it wasn't memorable, if I didn't like it. It's the kind of thing someone might hear and they might consider this like proto-punk which I couldn't care less about. I'm not really into any kind of punk at this point. I still like some things, you know, I still like certain classics that I got into. It's it's funny to me though cuz you know, punk is a disease. Punk is a disease as far as I'm concerned, and it's better to get it young. Like I'm glad I went through a punk phase when I was 15 so that I got it out of my system. It's like when parents have chicken pox parties, that's kind of how I see punk. Like parents will have chicken pox parties because they're like, it's better. It's less damaging if the kid gets it early and gets immune to it. And that's what happened to me in punk. Like I'm glad that I was 15. I was old enough to kind of like be thinking for myself a little bit to have some level of autonomy as a person. But it really, it was in and out of my system very quickly. But what's funny is at the time I, I was deeply into punk. There was about a year where I was like, yeah, I'm into punk. I had, a, I had some t-shirts, I, you know, I, I started, I got into punk, like just about everybody does at some point, just about everybody I know went through some kind of punk phase at one point in their life, and most of my friends I feel like went through it fairly early, because there's nothing worse than meeting somebody who didn't get into punk until they went to college or they were an adult, especially in today's world, like I'm not speaking for like before my time, I have no idea what that was like. I can assume, because I, I do assume all kinds of things, but you know, punk is a disease, it's better to get it young. That said, I, I mean, I, obviously I still like some punk, like I still like Bad Brains, I still enjoy The Misfits, there's probably some other stuff as well, but what I was looking for from punk, punk didn't give me, both in terms of subject matter, obviously, but also just musically, like I liked the rawness but I was looking for something else musically. I was looking for music that was raw, but that was communicating something a little more out there or, or transcendent than just the sort of riffs, the sort of music that most punk bands play. But yeah, punk's a disease, better to get it young. And so just love, you know, and it's, and it's funny too, though, the way that people want to apply punk to everything. Like music that existed in its own space early on, like a band from the 1960s that was garagey and raw. People look back on that with this revisionist lens where it's like everything is seen. It's, it's almost like certain people, a lot of people, maybe even most people who are into music, who are actually truly into music. You know, it, it's almost like they see punk as year zero. It's like B.C. and A.D., except it's like before punk and after punk, and everything is viewed through that lens, which is really a distorted lens. It's a warped lens. You're seeing things, you know, it's, it's, it's also like the hammer and the nail thing that people say, where it's like, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Like if you're into punk, every, you, you see everything as some sort of 
you see everything in relation to punk. I've just noticed that with a, a certain sort of person where it's like you listen to a band from the 50s or 60s and you're like, oh, this is proto-punk. Or maybe it's just raw rock and roll. And then they do that with post-punk as well. And of course, bands were calling themselves post-punk. But you, you see it even with genres outside of punk, where if a band is a particularly raw and primitive metal band, there's this tendency to be like, oh, they're punk. They're kind of punk. And that's just more proof to me that punk, it's not just a physical disease, which it is, but it's also a mental disease. And it basically forces punk into all these different conversations. And even the word itself is so dumb. Like just saying it aloud, it's like you feel, you know, it's almost like putting something nasty in your mouth just to say the word. So let's stop saying it. Let's just listen to this music exactly as it is. Just love, valley of hate. And of course, it's, there's a political undercurrent to this song, but just ignore that. Just go ahead and ignore that. Let this song be whatever you want it to be. But what it is, undeniably, is Valley of Hate. Watched dying men cry, and I've heard. 
estimated that a single hot dog cart in a prime spot near a casino brings in at least $300,000 a year. Officials said the carts confiscated over the weekend violated not only a court order on where they could be located, but also had not met basic health code requirements.
Yeah, Just Love was followed up there by the Bizarros after the snow from the 1980s. And, you know, even though punk is a disease, I mean, it has its moments of beauty. I mean, disease can be beautiful. There's a beauty in disease. And the Bizarros there, I mean, that song was pretty undeniably post-punk, I would say. Not that I really know what that means. But that's funny. The Bizarros are a funny band to me because I own that record. And I bought it some years back because it has cool cover art. It's not quite rudimentary peni level, but it's, you know, detailed black and white art. It's a step above the average punk drawing. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not the coolest, like most esoteric art or anything in the world, but it, it appealed to me. And I heard that song. That, that song you just heard was actually my introduction to them. And I was like, I have to own this. And it was many years ago, you know back when I was drinking, and I think it was like a drunk purchase, and I paid way more for that record than I typically pay for any record. And, you know, every once in a while, like back when I was buying records more regularly, every once in a while I'd pay more than, you know, more than I would like for something that I knew that I already loved, maybe. Maybe it was something that I was already a big fan of, and I simply wanted to own it or own it on vinyl. But very rarely would I pay a lot for a record that... I really had no idea of, like I had no concept of what the whole thing sounded like or who the band was. And that record showed up. It was one of those things where the record showed up and I was like, oh yeah, I bought this. Didn't end up liking most of the record. You know, most of the record is way more active, much more punk sounding. I think that's another Ohio band. I don't know what it is today. It played Shock Paris from Ohio and the Bizarros there were also from Ohio, but good, you know, it's good music. You know, it's, it's, obviously pretty but uh we're gonna move on here speaking of obviously pretty we're gonna play an alice in chains demo song called i can't have you blues and fortunately it's not too bluesy i don't really understand yeah i don't think the blues is a disease i don't think blues music is a disease i just don't understand how someone can still listen to blues music I don't understand how somebody can still want to play blues music. But then again, I mean, those people probably don't understand how I can still listen or play or do whatever I do with the things that I'm passionate about. I'm glad that those people are into the blues so that I don't have to be. But, you know, you'd think a song by Alice in Chains called the I Can't Have You Blues would not be suitable for this show. But Alice in Chains was a good band. You know, my sister was a lot older, so she was experiencing grunge firsthand as a teenager. So pretty much all of my experience with grunge was secondhand through an older sibling who was going to those shows, who was seeing Alice in Chains. So I didn't actually take them in. Like, it was, they were just there. You know, in the same way that, like, if you grow up in a house, there are decorations in your house, and you never stop and think that, oh, my parents bought that or got it from somebody and decided to put that on display. And it's there your whole childhood, and you never actually think about it as an object unto itself. It's just kind of this institution in your house. That's how I feel about grunge. That's definitely how I feel about Alice in Chains. They were just there. But when you revisit Alice in Chains, it's actually impressive. Like, the guitar sound is what's so impressive to me. You know, it's, it's an incredibly heavy sound. I mean, it's as heavy as any doom metal or anything you hear. And of course it has roots in Black Sabbath. I mean, that's what you realize more and more over time is just how many bands had roots, 
had their sound had roots in Black Sabbath. But yeah, this is from an Alice in Chains demo from 1988. And even though I'm talking up their style of music, even though I'm praising Alice in Chains here, this song is way different. It's like this catchy little, I mean, it's almost like a power pop song. You know what it sounds like? Actually, when I listen to this song, it sounds like they're covering Cheap Trick. I even had to look it up. When I heard this song, I was like, this can't be them. This can't be an Alice in Chains song. Because I knew that Alice in Chains was originally a hair metal band that did covers. I know that. So I was like, hmm, maybe they used to cover Cheap Trick, and that's what this is. But it's that sort of sound, and it's great. It's perfect for this episode. It's perfect for summer. Alice in Chains, the I Can't Have You Blues. I can't have you
like on that Alice in Chains song, how it starts out sounding like Alice in Chains. I mean, it has that undeniable guitar and Lane Staley doing what he does. But then it goes into the cheap trick. But it's kind of funny. I went on this long thing. about They sound like cheap trick. It, oh, it sounds like cheap trick on this. And then initially it just sounds like, no, it sounds like Alice in Chains. But speaking of the blues, you know, as much shit as I was just talking about the blues, I mean, obviously certain bands can do something with it. You just don't want to be too obvious. But here's a guy who is pretty obvious about his taste in the blues. This is a guy who doesn't mind getting bluesy. And uh, sometimes it still makes me woozy, though. He gets bluesy, and as much as I'm a fan of who I'm about to play, it still sometimes makes me woozy. And this is Danzig, of course. And this is going to be a rare Danzig song. I just played an Alice in Chains demo, so why not play a Danzig demo? A lesser-known Danzig song. This one's very raw. This one sounds like somebody heard it on a distorted radio transmission and then put it on tape. It's completely blown out, but it's nice to hear some of the bigger artists this way. You know, you're so used to hearing Danzig albums, You're so used to hearing this hi-fi, you know, professional production with an artist like this that hearing a raw demo is charming and perfect. It's charming and perfect. So we're going to go on here. We're going to play Danzig with Death Had No Name. Danzig telling you, don't be afraid of the blues. Some people can do something with it. 
goes well with that pentagram song that opened the show. Just hearing these artists play it in the raw. And I, I feel like this may have come up before because it's such a fun fact. You know, Six Degrees to Danzig is a way better game than Six Degrees to Kevin Bacon, which, as I've talked about before, I haven't met Kevin Bacon. My sister ran into him in the middle of the woods in upstate New York. So until I meet him, that's as close as I'm going to get. Somebody who shares my blood, who shares my parents, met Kevin Bacon in the middle of the woods, which I feel like that gives you an extra point, right? Like, if you run into Kevin Bacon in the woods, you beat the game. That's not running into him out in public. That's not seeing him at an event. Running into him in the woods, you have beaten the game. But Six Degrees to Danzig, you know, Brent, who listens to this show, he told me that when he was a kid, his and he was a Danzig fan, he is a Danzig fan, he told me when he was a kid, his dad's girlfriend's sister was dating John Christ the guitarist at Danzig. And they went to baseball games together. His dad and John Christ went to ball games together. I thought that was great. That's, I, you know, while that's not meeting Danzig, I'd say that puts you in the game of Six Degrees of Danzig, or, yeah, Six Degrees of Danzig. And then another one is, in 2002... My best friend and I saw Danzig live in Seattle. The only time I've seen Danzig, it was great. I really enjoyed it. It was a necessary experience. You know, it was like going to Mecca or something for me at that time. I finally saw Danzig live. Played with like Kamira. He played with like terrible bands. Like those like hate breed style, metalcore, almost new metal type bands. That's the kind of band he was touring with at the time. He was also touring with that thrash band. It was a, a band who had played like crossover thrash in the 80s. And then they just kept playing and getting worse and worse. They opened as well. But, uh, you know, seeing Danzig with my friend, it was just, I had to do that. And it was great. But that same friend of mine moved down to L.A. some years back. And he was in a, I want to say a Japanese restaurant. And Danzig was there. And he didn't bother him. You know, my friend's a decent guy. He didn't bother Danzig. And Danzig's the kind of guy where it's like, it's not just that you shouldn't bother a famous person when they're out. It's like, he's somebody you especially shouldn't bother. That's a guy who, he's in his own zone. It'd be funny if it turned out that Danzig actually loves people coming up to him. It'd be funny if he actually likes to be bothered, but nobody bothers him because he's Danzig. But my friend whispered to his girlfriend, they were a ways away. Like, he was on the other side of the restaurant or something. And he whispered to his girlfriend, my friend did, he said, Danzig. And he said, Danzig heard it. You know, in the same way that a whisper sometimes is the loudest thing you can do. And he said, Danzig, kind of, he, he knew that Danzig heard him and Danzig kind of like flinched or turned. And so it was just this funny little moment of tension with Danzig. And I'm not one of these people who makes fun of Danzig. I, while I see him as a human being, who deserves to be talked about as a human being, like all that stuff that was going on years ago, which is funny. Like there was that big, oh, Danzig and Henry Rollins are gay. Danzig and Henry Rollins are gay. There was even a book or something. Somebody made a comic about Glenn Danzig and Henry Rollins being gay together. But uh, stupid. Like I never found that funny. I mean, maybe partially because I just don't find the like, wouldn't it be funny if they were gay? I mean, because that's on the same level as, like, pretending to be gay yourself. 
Like I've never found that funny. Not in a not because it's homophobic, just because I just don't consider it very, you know, laughter provoking humor. It's just like, oh, the entire joke is I'm not gay, but what if I was? And some people test the waters that way. I've known a couple of people who kind of try to test the waters that way. Not that everybody who does it is closeted, but I'm just saying I've, I've known a couple of people who will kind of joke about that kind of thing. And then you find out a little more about them and you're like, oh, they were testing the waters. Huh? But it's the same thing for being like, what if Danzig and, Ro- and Henry Rollins were gay? Just not funny to me. But that said, I think it's what I think is funny is being in a Japanese restaurant with Danzig and whispering his name to your girlfriend and Danzig hears it. He just hears somebody whisper Danzig. I mean, to be fair, Danzig probably goes around, and even when nobody's saying it, he probably just hears Danzig. Danzig. He probably just hallucinates that all the time anyway. But yeah, nice to hear some raw, lesser-known Danzig. Death had no name. We're going to move along here into a block. We're going to stay in the heavy metal territory. This is one of those bands, Simpson. S-I-M-S-O-N. Another German band, actually. There's some themes going on here. We're playing bands from Ohio. We're playing bands from Germany. And Simpson was an 80s band who I believe only released one album. I got turned on to them a while back, and it turned out they had actually had their album reissued not long ago, and my friend who does distribution was able to get copies. So that was nice. It was nice that he was able to get those. But Simpson, not to be confused with Simpson, this is S-I-M-S-O-N. No P. There's no P in Simpson here. And it's going to be three songs from their album. And they're a good band. You know, they're metal. It's, it's undeniably heavy metal, but it's in that territory where it's kind of hard rock, too. I don't think that this is entirely... I don't think what they do is entirely different from some aspects of Thin Lizzy, who's another one of those bands, you know, talking about Bands who I feel like most people can get behind. Most people can at least tolerate. I feel like those are bands like Pentagram, The Smiths, Thin Lizzy. Like you can play that in front of a girl and you don't have to think about what she thinks about it. Whether she likes it or not, it's kind of neutral music. That said, it's not neutral. That's what's funny about it is those bands, using those bands as an example, to me those bands are filled with conviction There's an intensity to them. Not that the music is intense as we would normally define it, but when I hear it, there's an intensity to it. There's an intensity to what's being communicated. Yet it's kind of funny to me that I also see that as neutral music that just about everybody can enjoy. And maybe it's because other people can kind of sense that this is good. I might not like this, but I know this is good. Because I have that perception of things that I don't like. And that's an important thing to cultivate. Like, if, if you're not already aware of the ability to do that in yourself, cultivate it. Learn how to recognize when something is good, even when you don't like it. And the inverse, too. Like, learn how to recognize when something you like isn't good, but you like it. And a lot of people might not be able to get that one. Like, well, if it's not good, how could you like it? Or if it's... yeah. A guy just walked by and looked in the window. Not up close. He was far away. But it just made me really self-conscious that I'm sitting here with a microphone in my face. But uh, just a guy walking with his family. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
No, I, I have a serious phobia of people like seeing into my window and, and seeing what I'm doing. Like, I don't understand somebody who can like sit at a table or on the couch in full view of the street in their house where somebody can like see them at their laptop or see them eating. I just don't understand how you could do that to yourself. Like, I wouldn't want people to see my shark eyes. I wouldn't want people to see my glazed over, my horrible posture. I wouldn't want people to walk by and see that. Just like I didn't want that guy to walk by and see me talking into this mic just now. Uh, but anyway, there's just I was just talking about how, that, you know, there's things that aren't necessarily good, and you know they're not good, but something about them is charming. You like it. But the opposite's also true, where you can recognize that something is good, but you yourself might not like it. And it's, it's good to, like, work that part of your brain. If you don't understand that, you know, if, if you're not able to do that, if everything you don't like equals bad, everything you don't agree with equals bad, learn how to make those distinctions in your mind. I mean, that's really the key to live and let live right there. Simpson. This first song is called, We Know It's Right, But... Dot, dot, dot. I love a good vague title. We know it's right, comma, but, dot, dot, dot. But what? Well, you're about to find out. Oh, 
originated this term paradigm or paradigm change, which has become such a cliche, but is sort of indispensable in a way for looking at how ideas grow and develop and shift. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, Tom, I think I've got one here. And it was uh, something I don't think I can understand within the framework of reality in which I personally was raised. Mm -hmm. this, this doesn't fit.
times. I was raised in, in a very materialist, materialist not in the sense of property acquisition, but the, in the sense of all that's really true, all that's real is the physical world and everything else belongs to the subjective, the spiritual, what you study in departments of anthropology or psychology of religion or abnormal psychology. Um, so, uh, uh, but here is something which seems to cross over.
nearing the end here, and that their Simpson block, just so you know all the titles that went into that block. It started out with, we know it's right, but dot, dot, dot. And that was followed by Delilah. And then the last one you heard was Horses of Fire. Always a good time for a horse of fire to come riding by. And that was all from 1983. Yeah, so this is uh, coming to a close here, this summer edition of Every Night's a School Night. We got it in. You know, at the start of this month, I did a few Every Night's a School Nights in a row, and I was thinking, this will be easy. I'll have the summer episode done by the middle of the month. I'll have the summer episode done by the middle... Turns out, no. Once again, it's nearing the end of the month, which seems to be the best time to do it. You know, it's been over a month since the solstice. And we don't want to do a summer episode too early. You know, we want to do it right in the middle. And if you've noticed, there's been some cleanser. There's been a little bit of cleanser running through this in the form of beautiful electronic melodies. And that'll remain a mystery. Whatever that is, I don't know where it came from. It's actually a glitch. I don't know where it came from. I don't know where that electronic music is coming from. It's a glitch in my equipment. It's just appearing here. It's supernatural. But the last song we're going to play on here is by a well-known artist, Pat Benatar. You know, I wouldn't be able to tell you, I don't, I don't have an opinion on all of Pat Benatar's material. I'm just, I'm a tourist. When it comes to an artist like Pat Benatar, I've just heard things in passing. You know, I've heard a couple albums in full. And this is one that most people know. This song is one that most people know. It's the beautifully titled, Hell is for Children. I love detaching this from its meaning. This is one of those songs where if you detach this from its meaning and get really imaginative, it becomes a much more wild song. And it's already a pretty wild song. It's a powerful, driving, memorable one. It's triumphant, but dark. And nobody likes dark triumph more than me. But Hell is for Children. And this is a a live version in the spirit of playing demo songs by well-known artists, Alice in Chains, Danzig. In the spirit of playing demo songs, I think playing a Pat Benatar live performance from 1982 of Hell is for Children is perfect here. And I thought about playing a more stripped-down version. There's other live versions of this song that are more stripped-down. This one has this ethereal keyboard intro. You could tell Pat Benatar's career was just reaching a certain point at this time to where you needed ethereal keyboards to lead you into Hell is for Children. And there's the part later on where she says, Hell is for Hell. And I don't think you're supposed to think too much about that. It's just, it's, it's a variation on the chorus. You know, when a a chorus is repeated over and over again near the end of a song, sometimes they'll switch it up ever so slightly. But hell is for hell. Hell is for children and hell is for hell. Fits the mood. To me, it fits the mood to close this out with a little bit of hell is for hell. Because for some people, summer is hell. And that seems to be what some people are telling you to expect from here on out. 
There's a lot of people out there who are telling you, just so you know, every single summer for the rest of your life is going to be hell. Everything's going to be boiling. And maybe they're right. You know, I'm not arguing. It's an apocalyptic scenario. And I'll file it into that huge, huge drawer I have of different apocalyptic scenarios. You can find climate change somewhere between Ragnarok, somewhere, you know, if, if you've made it to the end of the Kali Yuga in that filing cabinet, you've gone too far. Let your fingers go back a few. You've, made it, you've gone too far if you're at the end of the Kali Yuga. But if you've made it to Ragnarok, keep going a little further. You'll find climate change somewhere in between there. I don't say that to dismiss it. Just to say that it's part of this whole framework that we have. Human beings are afraid of metaphysical hell. But we're also constantly fearing hell on earth. But it turns out we don't have to worry. Hell's for children. Pat Benatar told me. Pat Benatar told me hell is for children. So I don't got to worry. If you grow up, you don't have to worry. As soon as you're an adult, you can breathe a sigh of relief because you're not going to hell, I guess. Just turns out you can create hell and recreate hell. So what are you doing? What have you been up to? I haven't talked to you in a long time. Oh, I'm just creating and recreating hell. Trying not to. It's addictive, though. But you know what? I'm starting to hear a little bit of a glitch. I'm starting to hear it. It's a strange melody coming out. What is this? What, what, what is that? Anyway, this is... Summer edition of Every Night's a School Night closing out. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this is fun. You know, I kind of feel like I'm in my own... Uh, this weekend, I've, I've definitely felt like I'm in my own little... I've, I've, been, I've been telling myself, like, what weird little world did you create for yourself? Like, what hole did you dig yourself down into this time? I've kind of been feeling that way. I don't feel completely down there yet. But I'm kind of like looking down at this hole that I dug, just kind of saying, why did you dig that? Did you actually think you could go down and live down there? That's kind of how I'm feeling. So maybe this episode is either going to send me further down that hole, or it's what's keeping me out. I don't know. But hell is for children.
third grade, Sean encouraged me to draw two people having sex. Like, I wouldn't have drawn that on my own. I mean, I'm perverted, but I wouldn't have, like, drawn that in class. And it was on a little index note card. And I drew these two fat people. Like, it was a guy. They were both, like, standing up, and the guy's dick was just, like, going into this, like, black hole <laughs> in the woman's, like... Like the front of her pelvis, and then he was like, "Yeah, yeah, do that and, and, and do this," and he was telling me all these little details to draw, and and I drew it, and it was disgusting.
and I didn't come to school one day, and Sean fished it out. And showed everybody. And the teacher found it. And I come to school, like, the next day, and a friend of mine goes, hey, they found that picture you drew. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> and I didn't, I'm sure I said, like, something else, like a kid would say, but, uh, and he's like, yeah, like, they showed it to, like, Miss Prather. Who is Miss Prather? My teacher. She was just a really nondescript person. I've never and heard of her before. I was like, oh, fuck. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free So take my hand and walk this land with me And walk this lovely land with me Two. 